0: Today our text comes from Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse one, Matthew 25 verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Imagine the unimaginable kingdom to God of God to come. And to wonder the, and ask the question, Are you ready? Are you prepared? So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and already this is a different type of parable. You see, all of the other parables that talk about the kingdom of God to come use present tense. The kingdom of God is like, right now is like, but this parable starts with will be like, because it addresses something that has not yet happened, the return of Jesus, and it gives us that picture of why we need to be ready when he comes. The bridegroom, of course, is Christ. And the bridegroom, he would be escorted by his friends. Think of it, we would call them groomsmen. They would go from the bridegroom's house to the house of the bride who would be there waiting with her, her, uh, her attendants, in this case, the ten of the girls, and then they would gather them all together and bring them back to the house that the bridegroom has prepared for his bride. It would be a joyous celebration. Now, we learn very quickly, that five of these girls are foolish and five of these girls are wise. It's interesting, the word for foolish is the word that we kind of use as our English word, moron. (laughs) There were five morons. And then there were five who were wise. Now in the Old Testament, there's a few different words that God uses for wise in Greek. And this is a type of word that means more of taking the wisdom and knowledge and actually applying it, putting it into action, right? So we hear this in Matthew chapter 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see the wisdom then being applied to building your house on the rock. And in this case, the wise girls were those who put their wisdom and knowledge that we want to be prepared no matter what kind of time we will have to wait We want to make sure that when the bridegroom comes, we'll be ready. So in their wisdom, put into action, they brought extra oil with them. The wise were prepared for anything. Because they were so focused on the joy of the experience of the the bridegroom coming. Nothing else mattered. That was their priority. Preparation was everything to them being ready reflecting on on who is ready for jesus to come back as soon as possible it typically is the person who is world weary who's just lived through experienced so much lost so much is going through so many challenges and difficulties right now but god come back now many people said that during covid jesus this would just be a good time to come back end this all But when you are of any age, young, middle-aged, or elderly, and you have your health, and everything seems to be going for you, and everything's moving in a positive direction, then it can be like, boy, I want to go to heaven, but today might not be the best, right? We have bucket lists, things that we want to accomplish. When you're young, you want your driver's license, you want to fall in love, and you can get married, and have a family, and career, and, and be worldly successful. And as long as you are worldly successful, it's so tempting just to focus on the here and now and not consider the kingdom of God to come. As if the best that this world has to offer can even, it just, it pales in comparison to the glory that waits us in heaven. It pales in comparison. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that there's anything worth waiting for in this life compared to the life to come. Now, a handful of months ago, I don't remember exactly how long, I asked everybody here at Fuel who wanted to go to heaven, and and everybody raised their hands. And then I said, who wants to go today? And there were like, most people were like, ooh. Not today. And just so you don't feel bad, I asked this exact same question to people who attended 930 in in the sanctuary. Like, the Reverend 930 people. You all kept more hands up when I said, who wants to go today? So, bravo. I, I, I was going to take the win and not ask you to repeat it today just in case you felt, felt worse. And So you win. But why is that? And I think it's because we miss how awesome and amazing and glorious life is without sin. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a little bit. And the bridegroom was delayed. He, you know, he, he took longer with his guys. They, they maybe took a detour before they came to pick the bride up. And it's stretching out. It was a a daytime event that stretched into early evening that then stretched into the late night. And every single one of them, the wise and the foolish, all fell asleep. Now, I think that's a really interesting situation. Falling asleep is theologically symbolic. Paul talks to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this. He says that those who have died have fallen asleep. If you remember back to when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead who had been die- he, he was dead for 3 days when Jesus arrives he grieves because his friend is dead but he tells other people no he's sleeping. In the New Testament this is what we consider the time between death and the resurrection. That we are asleep with Christ. Jesus tells the thief on the cross today you will be with me in paradise. So we know that being asleep in Jesus is is like paradise. It's, It's free from any kind of problem. But it's still not as good as it gets. Because on the last day when Jesus returns and our souls are reunited with perfect and whole bodies. That's when the party starts. That's when things get really, really good. And that's what we have here. This is a parable that tells us about our time from when we die. We have to be prepared at that point in time, at that moment. It also is a reminder to us to daily die to ourselves in our baptisms and rise as we remember the gifts that God has given to us in baptism. And at midnight, there's a cry Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him at midnight. Reminds me a lot of the 11th hour, right? We, we heard about the 11th hour workers in the parable of the workers in the field that the, the, the farmer had so much work to do that continually throughout the day, he's bringing in more and more workers all the way up to the 11th hour, the last possible moment, he goes out and gets more workers. And then out of his insane graciousness, he liberally pours out the exact same daily wage onto them as the people who've been working the whole time. The 11th hour, the last possible moment. This past week, we had an 11th hour wedding here at St. Luke's. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful event. Two people well advanced in their age who had never been married before got married for the very first time. It was really cool. And then they called it, this is our 11th hour wedding. This is, this is down to the wire. We made it. When here we have midnight. See, the last seconds of the 11th hour have already ticked away. There is no more time left. When that time comes, you cannot get ready. You have to be already ready. This is midnight. This is it. The cry wakes everyone up. The bridegroom, Jesus, has arrived. But this return of Jesus, when he comes back, it will be universal. There will be no one sleeping who will not be raised and judged to be prepared or unprepared and then all the virgins they get up and they, they quickly trim their lamps and they get ready and then the emphasis is still on all all of them get up so far they look identical exactly the same from one another it reminds me of the church in, in the in the room today we have some people who are prepared and ready to go and we have some who are not And please hear me, for those who are not, I am not speaking words of judgment, but rather an encouragement to get ready, to be ready for the day when he comes. And I'm going to tell you what that looks like in just a bit. It's like the parables of the wheat and the weeds, the sheep and the goats. They're all together in the same space. The wheat and the weeds even look the same until it's almost time for harvest when the wheat produces grain and the weeds produce nothing. We can look the same from one another. But remember this from the very beginning of the parable, even those who ended up on the outside at the end of the parable, all of them started being invited to this wedding. All of them were participants of this wedding. It's just the four morons left, they were not prepared. But the wise, the foolish, said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are, are, are going out. And at first it's easy to maybe think, well, what does the oil in the lamp represent? And maybe it represents faith because if you have faith, you get to go into the party. That makes total sense except for this point. Then if it were faith, then the ones who were wise would surely say to the morons, yes, please We want to share our faith. We want to evangelize you. We want you to know the good news so that you can come into the party with us. But that's not what they say. They say, if we give to you, then we won't have enough. And we know that's just not how faith works, right? You you grow faith by giving it away. So it must mean something more. It must mean something different. To be prepared means to be in a right relationship with God. The right relationship with God that's been restored by him not by us not by what we do to get ready but what Christ has done to already prepare us to have a right relationship with him and here's where that starts utmost importance if you want to know what you can do to get into a right relationship with God there is one thing one thing and one thing alone that God requires of you for you to be prepared and that is to repent to let your repentant heart break open And confess your sins to God like you did just moments ago. That's what he longs for you. For you to make that sacrifice daily. To sacrifice your repentance to him. To go to him at the end of every day. Just sorry for where you've gone wrong. And seeking his grace. And being renewed by that grace daily. It's the relationship. That represents the oil. And now this makes sense because... The, ones, the wise ones say to the, to the fools, I, I can't give you my relationship with God. I can't give that away. It's non-transferable. It belongs to me. But I can live my life in such a way that makes you want that relationship for yourself. This is an individual, an individual possession of mine that I can't give away. It belongs to me. And nothing can put that in jeopardy. So while the morons go off to go buy more oil, they come back and then the bridegroom has already come and the bridegroom has found the five wise bridesmaids and, and thrown the door to the party wide open and ushered everybody in. And the door was shut. Now this feast, this wedding party, po- points back to this incredible meal celebration of God, the great banquet of God that we hear about in Isaiah chapter 25 on this holy mountain of God that God will prepare this enormous feast He's talking about the new heaven, the new earth, the kingdom of God to come, the world put right, free from sin. Just think about this just for a minute. Revelation chapter 21 tells us that that means that in the new heaven, the new earth, where we walk with God, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. There will be no more Alzheimer's or cancer. There will be no more anger or war or fighting. There will be no more anxiety or depression or fear. There will only be wholeness and unity and joy that, that is, is just overflowing. And peace that, that, that passes all understanding and, and love that is perfect. Relationships that are perfect. To walk with God this isn't one of those things where we die and we go to heaven we get angels halo cloud harp for those who are musically inclined when you die in this earth you are asleep with Jesus in paradise free from sin but awaiting with anticipation Jesus to come back for the bridegroom to come back to throw the party open for the great banquet to begin the party that will end all parties that will last for eternity That's what we are to long for, to point to, to give us hope. So Pastor Tighe, how do I get prepared? What does that life look like? I know you said, repent, believe. What else can I do? Well, I think the marks of a true follower, somebody that you can say, that Jesus would say, this is somebody who is after God's own heart, who is lined up, ready to go, gallons of petrol, waiting to fill their lamps however long they need this is what that looks like. It's, it's, a, it's a life of somebody who is intentionally letting Christ call us deeper. Deeper into our faith, deeper into our understanding, deeper into our love and our relationship with God. It's about allowing grace to call us together, to erase the things that divide us and celebrate the things that pull us into unity. To allow truth to call us into closer relationships with one another that feel safe to be vulnerable and transparent having real depth to our relationships not just superficial and to allow faith to call us farther into this jesus adventure to to boldly live our christian lives in our vocations in our homes in our places of work in our school in our neighborhoods but hear me very closely because if you just do these things as checking off the box so that God will come and find you worthy, then you've missed the point entirely. Because these are not actions that we do so that we are worthy. These are things we do because God has already claimed us to be worthy, right? It's just something that we naturally do. It's something that, that is just a fruit of the faith that we have. And then he comes and he comes to find us Living the life that he has called us to. Motive is everything. We do it because of what he's done for us. Not so that he will do more for us. Now afterward, the other virgins, the foolish ones, they came back to the party saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. This is a Hebrew saying when you repeat Lord twice, it's like from the gut. We are so incredibly much in need. We desperately want you to hear us and open this door. These are people who appeared at all outward appearances as being ready to go, but they weren't. And he answered devastatingly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, this is, this is huge because the good shepherd who lays his down, life down for the sheep, he knows every sheep by name. And here, because five were unprepared, he says, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Now it's incredibly important that we keep in our heads through all of this that this is not a works based parable. This being prepared is not a work that we do, it is something that God has done for us. That when we when we repent and we believe that He promises to forgive our sins, and in fact did already on the cross, we are prepared. Now, living that prepared life, being prepared, means that we just naturally, because we've already been invited to the party, we act right now as if we are in the party. And we celebrate that. We are saved by faith and faith alone. Now, without fail, whenever you preach a sermon that is by faith alone, that it is only faith, not by works, then there's always people in the room that say, but that seems too easy. That's too simple. Surely there's something that I can do to contribute to this. Maybe just improve my odds. But you see, when we live a life of preparation, when we are ready, and when we die, and when we fall asleep in Christ, we lose our grip on, on everything. We're completely vulnerable with God. The only grip that we have to hang on to is the the reconciling grip of Jesus Christ who holds us. And he presses us into his hand and and he brings us to the Heavenly Father, but not just as we used to be. He brings us whole. He brings us healed. He brings us sin free as if sin never happened in our lives. And he presents us to the Father. And, and, and keep in mind this. Jesus was the author of creation. He was the one who said, let there be and there was. And God looked at creation when it was done and he said, very good. And the same will be true when, when Jesus presents us with his hand in ours to the heavenly Father. He will look at what Jesus has recreated in us. And say those same words. Very good. Very good. We live this way with absolutely nothing to fear. There is no reason to fear that last day because what we will encounter is not this time of judgment and punishment, but the beginning of the party of all parties, the joy of the great banquet in heaven. To fix our eyes on that, especially when life is hard, to know that today is not the end, today is not the last chapter. The last chapter has already been written, and it is far better than you could ever believe. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you that you come. We praise you that you've promised to come. Prepare us, Lord. Make us ready. By your grace, fill us up with a faith that longs for your return. To keep that as a priority in our daily life. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.